And before I jump into the text, just want to start, um, you know, start off this sermon right with um, giving you a little example about what it's really going to be, out, be about. Um, and that's simply Super Mario Brothers and Star Power. You guys know what star power is in Super Mario, right? What is star power? Invincibility. Invincibility. That's right. You're like going through the levels. You're fighting those fire flaming guys. They're like shooting those fireballs at you or those plants are like jumping in your face and trying to bring you down. And then a star pops out of the brick that you crush with your fist. And all is well, right? You're able to face all those things uh, triumphantly. And really, that's exactly what tonight is about. Um, but in a different way, clearly. We're talking about sin and dealing with sin. And um, what we're going to look at here is that to deal with sin, we have to do so by faith in Christ and not by faith in ourselves. So you'll see that in your notes. They sort of form one sentence, actually. If you read them straight, read the little headings there. Deal with sin by faith in Christ, not by faith in self. So we're going to look at uh, chapter 17 of Luke, verses 1 to 10, and uh, we'll read through it here, and I'll pray, and then we'll uh, jump into the text tonight. So um, Luke 17, 1 to 10. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted it planted into the sea, and it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he, uh, when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also when you have done all, these, uh, all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what is our duty. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that it's faithful to speak into our lives. Uh, we thankful, we're, we're thankful that you know, Christ dealt with sin, uh, chiefly on the cross, but even as he talked to his disciples, he uh, gave them some very clear instructions about how we are to deal with sin. And Lord, we pray that through this message, you would just speak to us, God, not by uh, words that I have prepared, but by your Spirit, Lord, that you would challenge us and direct us in our lives, that, uh, that we would be a, a community that, that deals with sin appropriately, and that we would uh, just love each other in that by uh, watching out for one another and pursuing Christ together, uh, pursuing our faith in Him together. Lord, be with us tonight as we look at your Word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, Faith in Christ is, uh, is similar to that star power in, in Mario Brothers, uh, and we'll see it as we look, look through this text. Um, clinging to the cross and what Christ has done to us is actually the only way that we can face sin appropriately, whether it uh, be when we're sinned against or when we sin, 
Uh, it's only in Christ that we find uh, the solution. So he's that star power. We're going to look at that tonight. Uh, the first section that we're looking at is verses 1 to 4, and, and this is Jesus again talking to his disciples, as we see in verse 1. It says, he said to his disciples, uh, and as, as you know, and I've reminded you a number of times, we're on this journey uh, to Jerusalem is, is the context for our study. We're just kind of journeying uh, throughout Judea uh, to Jerusalem, and we're, we're only a couple chapters away, finally, uh, to, uh, from the uh, triumphal entry when Jesus actually makes it to Jerusalem. Uh, it's been a long, 10-chapter-long journey or so that, <laughs> that it would feel like we've been on. Um, but uh, tonight, he's talking to his, his disciples, and in verses 1 to 4, he's talking about how they are to deal with sin. And the first thing he says about this is this. Uh, he says, temptations to sin are sure to come. So the first thing we want to deal with is the fact that temptations will come. It is a certainty. He's not saying if they come or will they come or, or wondering about it or pondering. He's saying when they come, temptations will come. They are sure to come. It's, it's, uh, it's certain and we see this, uh, this truth also in, in James 1, 13 to 15. Um, he really explains the cert- not only the certainty of sin, but also the gravity of sin and, and the importance that we deal with it. In James 1, 13 to 15, he says this, When tempted, not if you'll be tempted, but when you are tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So, clearly, um, sin is certain. James very clearly points that out to us. When you are tempted, uh, you know, it is going to happen. Uh, and then he puts uh, the emphasis on the fact it's important for us to avoid sin when we're tempted because, you know, the fact is that sin, that, that desire, that temptation gives birth to sin, and that sin results in death. Sin is what has separated us from God the Father, and that's why Christ came to die on the cross to restore us to God the Father. And sin, if we continue to pursue it or allow it in our lives, just creates more and more division between us and God. And so it's important that we deal with it. It's very important. And something interesting to note about James's statement about sin is that he says, but each one of you is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. The fact is, uh, we inherently have evil desires within us. We desire money, we desire power, we, we desire fame, we desire increase for ourselves. And when temptations come, and we know they will, we are dragged and enticed into them by our own evil desire. So we have to be aware of that. Um, and you know, the, we, we can clearly agree with both James and Jesus on this fact that temptations will come because you can look around at our world and temptation is everywhere. Objects of temptation are all over the place, whether it's getting ahead in business or, or, um, or whether it's you know, just interacting appropriately with your friends. Or, or There's just tons of temptations all around us. Uh, just watch TV for a little while. You will, you know, there's objects of temptation everywhere. Um, and everyone deals with various, you know, various things in that. And so temptation is, 
is a certainty because objects of temptation are all over the place and our own desires entice us to them. And so it's important that we understand how, uh, how to deal with sin. So the first thing that we see is clearly that we will be tempted to sin. It's going to happen. That is a certainty. The second thing in dealing with sin that we see is that uh, we actually may be responsible for tempting others. As he's talking to the disciples, he's saying, uh, woe to you through whom, the, uh, through whom the temptations come. And he goes on and explains how, how uh, important this is. He says in verse 2, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. That's a pretty, uh, pretty strong statement. So a millstone is basically this uh, hundred-pound block that is carried by a donkey around the mill to grind out the grain. So if you've got a hundred-pound rock tied to your neck, you know, and you're thrown over a hill into a lake, that's, I mean, that's, you know, death, obviously, but like torturous death. Like you're flying down a hill and then you hit the water and then you're dragged down by this rock. Like, okay, that's a very terrible consequence, right? So he's putting this in the strongest terms. Woe to you uh, who through temptation, uh, who through temptation comes. And you might ask, you know, he's saying this to his, his disciples. You know, shouldn't, shouldn't this be obvious that they aren't tempting each other to sin? But the fact is, you know, we can do it all the time and, and through a number of means. Um, there, are, there are lots of ways that we tempt each other. And, and so, just share a couple of those. Paul addresses some in Romans. He um, is talking about meat that's sacrificed to idols. And some people in their conscience is, is, is clean that they, they are able to do that without worrying because, you know, maybe uh, they understand that all the food is from the Lord and, and they're okay with, with uh you know, chewing on this, this particular meat, it doesn't bother their conscience. But for other people, that's a stumbling block to them. For whatever reason, they say, you know what, I can't touch that. I, you know, I just know where it's been, and I, you know, in my spirit, I just, I just can't touch that. And um, for us today, you know, one of those, one of those issues that uh, we have to be careful about is, is like alcohol, for instance. That's, a, that's an issue that um, a, a lot of people deal with and try and figure out, okay, how do I do this? And, you know, for uh, various people, their conscience says, you know, I cannot deal with alcohol. I can't touch it. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to get around it at all. Uh, when I'm around it, you know, I'm going to be drawn to that and, and form an addiction, and it's going to end poorly for me because I know my history. So they say, I'm going to stay away from it completely. I'm going to abstain from alcohol entirely. Whereas others in, in Christian faith would say, no, you know, I, I can control myself when I drink, and it's not a, not a problem for me, you know. I have a drink every once in a while, and I don't let it get out of control, and I understand my limits and all these sorts of things. I never lose control of myself. And, and so for others, you know, it's okay. But for this person that it's okay with, they have to respect their brother who, whom it's not okay with. So if you're out with someone and you know that they struggle with that, their family history maybe has some alcoholism or something, the fact is we should, in fact, know each other well enough that we know those things about each other. And so when we're in a circumstance where maybe we're, you know, at a bar or a restaurant or whatever and alcohol is available to us and we think, oh man, I'd really go for a, a Guinness right now. That would be really great with this pizza uh, or whatever it is. You can look across the table and say, you know what? I, you know, thinking inside yourself, say, you know, I'm not going to do that because I know my brother. I know he struggles with this particular thing. Um, I don't want to tempt him in any way with that. And so I'm just going to abstain from that even though I know it's okay I know it's a stumbling block to him. And so 
He says, woe to you who tempt each other in this way. And so we've got to be aware of one another so much so that we know each other's, uh, you know, flaws and, and, and brokenness and can respond to each other appropriately in, in those issues. Um, so there's a number of, you know, there's tons of things like that that, that may be similar, whether it's, uh, you know, maybe leading someone on in a relationship, you know, you're a guy and a girl, and, and you just kind of like hanging out with the person, and, uh, and this person thinks it's more serious, but you don't, you're taking it less serious, and you're sort of leading them on in things. I mean, believers can do this sort of thing. We can lead each other on. Um, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's in your dress. You dress immodestly. You, you uh, present yourself in an inappropriate manner to each other, and uh, and, and so that can tempt people into sin. Um, maybe it's just justifying a, a way that you live, some sin in your life. You say, you know, this is okay, and, and in fact, inviting people to participate in that. So going back to the alcohol example, let's say, you know, you're sort of an alcohol evangelist, you know? You're saying, it's okay for me. It should be totally clean for your conscience. I know, you know, Jesus is big enough for your past history. You can overcome it. You should just come with me. That's not okay. We have to respect each other uh, and, and we have to refrain from tempting each other. Or maybe it's by not following God's will. Maybe it's not an act of commission, but it's an act of omission, where we're not doing something God has called us to do. And by doing so, you know, other people may be uh, affected by the decisions we're making. And so uh, maybe it's not following God's will that affects others around you. So we have to be careful that we don't tempt, uh, tempt, our, uh, tempt one another in our faith. So first thing, we will be tempted. Second thing, uh, we may be tempting others to sin, so we need to be aware of that. The third thing is, uh, we must rebuke known sin. He says in, uh, starts out in verse 3, pay attention to yourselves. And I titled this message, Watch Yourself, because in the NIV it says, watch yourselves. And so I like that a little better than pay attention to yourselves. Watch yourselves. Um, and notice that he doesn't say, watch yourself. He says, watch yourselves. This is a community thing. It's not, you know, Christian life isn't about uh, me taking care of just me and being holy and, 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 you know, making sure I've got myself in line. It's about a community of people uh, striving after God. And so he says, watch yourselves. And then he goes and says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. So if you, you know, if you notice sin, if he sins against you, if you see him sinning, or if, you know, perhaps you're in a situation where you have become responsible for a brother or sister in Christ, uh, and that could be whether you've, maybe you've formed a, 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 you know, an accountability relationship with one another, or maybe you're in a leadership position that has put you over, you know, a group of guys or a group of girls, uh, and, and then it becomes your responsibility to not only uh, perceive when sin happens, see it, Uh, or not only feel it when it comes against you, but actually ask that person intentionally about, okay, what are you struggling with? And did you struggle with that? And, you know, then follow up by rebuking them for that. So you know that's not right. You know it's going to harm you in the long run. And uh, so it's our responsibility to rebuke uh, known sin. So, you know, what I didn't say there, obviously, is that we shouldn't go around just patrolling everybody. As, that's, not, that's not the call, right? The call is to rebuke known sin or areas where we're responsible for uh, another in their spiritual walk, where we've been given that responsibility willingly by the individual. 
So we shouldn't go around saying, you know, have you, uh, you know, have you sinned this week? Have you sinned this week? Have you sinned this week? And tell me what it is right now, you know, and I'm going to rebuke it. You know, that would be not fruitful. That's not the instruction that he gives. We're not to be having some watchdog approach to our community. But if we observe our, our brother sinning, then we should go to him and say, you know, that's wrong. Like, the way you're going about that is inappropriate. The way you interact with that individual is inappropriate. You know, I saw that business transaction that you're doing. That guy's not a good guy, and I know what you're doing, you know? We need to rebuke those situations. You rebuke uh, sin when we see it, um, and when it's, obviously when it's against us, you know, that's a, that's a clear time where you can say, you know, this is wrong. Like, what you're doing is wrong. And, um, so, we will be tempted. We might be tempting others. We must rebuke sin. And the final thing he tells us about dealing with sin is that we must forgive the repentant sinner. So there's an important word in there. The repentant sinner, we must forgive. Um, <clears throat> you know, the fact is that we could go to a brother and say, uh, you know, what you're doing is wrong. Like, you need to recognize, like, God's truth about this issue and explain it to them appropriately. And they might say, you know what, I'm, I, I don't really care, you know. I don't repent of that. I think it's okay. Um, and so, you know, we can't extend forgiveness in that. It's a, forgiveness can only be extended to the one who recognizes that they have sinned and turns from that. That's the nature of repenting is that you're going one direction, you commit some act, and you say, you know, that was wrong, and then you turn from it. Your repentance is that, is turning from your sin and saying, yes, that, that is inappropriate. I shouldn't be doing that, and I'm sorry. And um, there's a couple things with this, you know, first that, yes, we have, it has to be repentant, but also there's a, a, an extravagant grace that is applied here as well. It says in verse uh, four, he continues, or uh, three, he continues on, if he repents, forgive him, and if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So, I mean, could you imagine that situation? That's pretty okay, in one day, this guy sins against you, not only, not like, like not, you know, he sins just seven times during the day, but he sins against you seven times in one day. If he repents and you perceive his repentance as true, you know, you've got to forgive him. You have to forgive him. That's what Christ is saying. In, uh, in Judaism, it was said to be honorable to forgive a man three times for his sin against you. And so Jesus is saying, you know, not three times, seven times, and not just over the course of a week or, you know, a month or whatever, but in a day. And so that's powerful. Um, the grace that God provides is, is for all of our sin, but it only is effective for those who repent and believe. So the fact is that Christ died for all. He died for all our sin. And so whenever we repent and turn from it, he has forgiven us for that. You can stand on that. He has forgiven you for your sin, and you stand righteous in him if you repent and turn to him. But repentance can't be, or forgiveness can't be extended if we don't repent of it. If we don't say, you know, that was wrong, and I turn from it and turn to the Savior. I want to be restored to God. So Jesus died for all. That's true. But only those who repent and place their faith in Christ will be restored to God. We have to repent of our sin and turn to God and rest in Him as the one that has saved us from it. So um, the four ways that we deal with sin— acknowledge that we will be tempted by sin, um, understand that we may be tempting others in our lifestyle, understand that we must rebuke known sin, and finally, we must forgive the repentant sinner.
because the truth is Christ forgave us, and we know how much he forgives us. We have to extend that same grace to others. So we have to deal with sin. It's a reality in our lives. Um, The second thing we see is that we deal with sin by faith in Christ. So it's not some, uh, you know, we're not dealing with sin on the basis of fear from, from God. That would be religious, a religious uh, turn from, a term from sin. We're not dealing with sin to puff up our righteousness. That would be a prideful uh, pursuit of avoiding sin, and we'll deal with that a little further at the, at the, at the end of this uh, sermon. But we deal with sin by faith in Christ. The next thing that uh, the apostles say to the Lord is, increase our faith. And the Lord says, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So, you know, the, the, the apostles are responding to this issue of sin by saying, uh, how are we supposed to live in such an open and honest community? Like, you've taken it from three over the course of time to seven times of forgiveness in a day. Like, how do we do this? Increase our faith. How are we supposed to respond to this? Um, just a little information about how uh, exorbitant this, this illustration is. A mustard seed is considered the smallest seed in, you know, the, in, the, in the popular seeds of the garden, essentially. There, there were a few that were smaller, uh, but the mustard seed is maybe the most popular of those seeds. And so uh, it's, it's the most popularly used small seed of the garden. And so it's a very small seed. And the mulberry tree by contrast, is a large tree. And this particular mulberry tree that's probably being referenced is a black mulberry tree. So you know anything about black mulberry trees, Jeff? Anything? No? Okay. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something about, about uh, horticulture here, right? Um, so black mulberry trees have vast root systems. And so these vast root systems of these black mulberry trees allow them to live for 600 years. So for a mulberry tree, for a 600-year-old tree, I'm guessing that's going to make it pretty big, right? So, okay, so these mulberry trees are huge. And so he's saying if you have just a seed of faith, a tiny little seed, you'll be able to move that mulberry tree. You'll say, be uprooted and thrown into the sea. So uh, an amazing thing, we, were, you know, we study this passage uh, ahead of time, uh, you know, on a community group before this, this Sunday, we study uh, chapter 17, 1 to 10, so we studied it last Wednesday. And we were talking about how amazing it is that uh, we hadn't really seen this before. You know, the, the apostles are asking to increase their faith, and Jesus is saying, just by the very presence of your faith, you will be able to do these things. So it's not about them saying, you know, I just need more faith in order to act this, you know, this appropriate way toward my brothers and sisters. No, he's saying, if you just have faith in Christ Jesus— you'll be able to move this mulberry tree into the sea. And obviously he's not saying, you know, you guys need to spend your time moving mulberry trees into the sea, uh, but he is saying that you'll be able to do do amazing things just by having the very presence of faith in Christ in your life. It's not about stirring up more faith or increasing it somehow. It's about just simply having faith in what Christ has done for you. You'll be able to do amazing things in him. So, um, I think this is a great example, really. I mean, uh, the, fact, the fact is that with sin, it's so tangled. Just like this vast root system of this black mulberry tree that we're talking about. Um, you know, sin is deeply rooted. It's deeply rooted in us, and then it spreads out and reaches into other people, and 
I mean, it's all over the place and so difficult to remove. And what Christ is saying is that if you have just a little bit of faith, you can move that mulberry tree, whatever circumstance, whatever sin that it is that you're dealing with, you can move it and throw it into the sea. And, and he says you can count on that. You don't have to worry about increasing it to some certain level. If you just have your faith in me, just the presence of it, um, it uh, you can move this tree. So you know, the question for us tonight, really, as we think about dealing with sin, is what is the mulberry tree that's sitting in our lives? What sin is it? What, what circumstance is it that we have, uh, have just let grow there for years and years and years? And how far back does that sin go? Does it go back 600 years for you? Uh, potentially, you know, maybe there's something inherited from, from other generations that, is, that has been passed down to you somehow that you have to deal with. The fact is we have mulberry trees in our lives, and we have, if we have faith in Christ, those mulberry trees can be and will be uprooted in him. And so um, to deal with sin, we must place our faith in Christ. Only as we continue in faith in Christ will we deal with sin rightly. You know, the truth is we have those four things that we learned about uh, that we have to deal with sin on, uh, and faith in Christ confronts every single one of them. Faith in Christ keeps us from sin when temptation comes, is the, is the first thing. We see in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen that uh, every time that we are tempted, God has provided a way out for us. And so 1 Corinthians ten thirteen says this, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you, can, uh, what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. The fact is, as we keep our faith in Christ, any temptation we face, there is a way out. God has provided it for us. He doesn't give us a circumstance. He doesn't give us a sin. He doesn't give us a situation that we cannot get out of without, uh, with, his faith, uh, with our faith in him. So faith in Christ keeps us from sinning when temptation comes, and it will come, as we've said. Faith in Christ also gives us the awareness to not tempt other individuals. Uh, his Holy, the Holy Spirit convicts us about the things in our lives that we are doing or the way we're living our lifestyle in front of people. As we continue in faith in Christ Jesus, he pours out those things and shows us, you know, the way you're interacting with individuals is, is inappropriate, and you need to be aware of that. The Holy Spirit convicts us in those situations. He will show us how we may be tempting other people if we would just open our eyes and ask him to search us. I, I was, uh, earlier this week, I was reflecting on Psalm 139, I think it is, and it's, uh, search me, O God, and know my heart. Know if there's any unclean way within me, um, and lead me in the way everlasting. The fact is, we can ask God to show us things in our lives that are leading other people astray, or other ways that we're tempting other pe- could be tempting other people. Uh, God is faithful to show that to us as we uh, continue in our faith in Christ. Next, faith in Christ gives us uh, humility to rebuke uh, uh, rebuke sin that we see. He gives us w- uh, wisdom uh, in these situations. Um, the fact is, as we continue to grow in our lives as Christians, we understand what sin is. So it's not about, um, it's not about knowing this list of, of sins that, that could happen. You know, uh, let me, let me, I guess let me put it this way. There's, um, when, you're, uh, when you're dealing with check fraud and, and, and currency fraud, the way they train individuals to, uh, to deal with check fraud, do you know how they do that? Anybody? know how they train people for, for check fraud? 
They teach them what is a real check. They don't teach them all the different ways that, uh, I mean, they, they probably spend some time on it, but uh, they don't spend the emphasis of their time on uh, figuring out all the different ways that checks could be manipulated. Um, they spend the majority of their time training them on what is a real check and what is a real piece of currency so that when they see a fake, because there could be innumerable ways that they, uh, check fraud is, is committed, they will recognize it. They'll say, that's not a real one. I know what a real check is, and that one is not a real one. So it's not by showing them, okay, this is this method, and this is that method, and this is that method. They may do that as they are intensive in their training. The most important thing they tell them is, this is a real check. Study this, know this, and you will know when you have got a, a a false check. If you just simply know what is real. And the same is true for us. As we grow in our faith in Christ, as we continue in Him, we will know, even when it's not uh, totally apparent to maybe everyone else, we will know when sin is happening. And we'll be able to step in and say, you know, the way you were talking to that individual, you know, I think something's going on here. I, you know, I think, you know, maybe we want to talk about this a little more. And, and you'll be able to see when sin is occurring uh, more easily, when you know what real faith in Christ is. And as you, as you grow in that, so faith in Christ gives us the humility uh, to rebuke individuals and the, and the knowledge to rebuke individuals when we see sin. And, and as Christ has pointed out, that is very important for us. So, um, and then finally, uh, faith in Christ provides grace to extend uh, extravagantly, just as Christ has done. As we uh, continue in our faith in Christ, we understand more and more not only the, what real uh, faith is and how we're to act out in a community, but we also know more and more how much sin is within us as we continue in our faith in Christ. You don't ever grow past the gospel is the truth, right? Uh, as, you, as you walk out this faith in Christ, you know more and more the extravagant, extravagant grace that he's poured out on you and so as that, as that continues to happen in your life, you see sin, and maybe someone sins against you seven times in a day, you have the humility enough to say, you know what, I forgive you. I was there once. I was like you once. I did those similar things to other people, and God has forgiven me in Christ Jesus. And so our faith in Christ provides grace to extend to others. Faith in Christ keeps us from uh, sin and temptation. It gives us awareness not to tempt others. It gives us a better ability to rebuke others, and it provides grace to extend to others. The solution to sin is not uh, fulfilling some rule book in fear of what God's punishment is going to be, and it's not notching off accomplishments uh, and building up, puffing up our pride. It's simply having faith in Christ. Not some, you know, not increasing faith or, or whatever. It's just simply having faith in Christ and what he has done for you. Just a small mustard seed can remove a mulberry tree that's standing in front of you. We simply have to have faith in Christ as we deal with sin. And finally, in this passage, Jesus points out, uh, just emphasizing this issue that dealing with sin isn't about pride. It isn't about puffing ourselves up. He says uh, this final point, which is uh, dealing with sin by faith in Christ, uh, not by faith in ourselves. And we see that in this parable that he shares in verse 7 to 10. He says this in the parable of the servant. Will any one of you who has a servant uh, plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline on my table? You've 
You've done a wonderful job tending my sheep. Come, come eat with me. Does, does any master say that to his servant? And he says, will he not rather say, so the answer is no, no master says that to his servant. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. The fact is, um, oftentimes in our jobs, we don't get thanked for doing our job. You know, we go to work eight to five. If we go to work from eight to three, no one's going to say, good job, you made it to three. Way to go. No, I mean, you got to finish the day, all right? You got to go eight to five. You got to finish the day. And, And sometimes thanks doesn't even come for that. You know, sometimes it's uh, the first time you get thanked for being loyal in your job is when you've been at a company for five years and say, hey, five years, here's a watch. Thanks. You're like, what? Okay, that's not not very nice. I thought there was more to this. But um, the fact is, we have a job to do. You don't get get thanked for simply doing your job. And that's what this illustration is pointing out. You know, the servant is simply doing his job. He was hired to take care of the sheep and, and prepare his master's dinner. So when he comes in from getting done with the sheep, he's not like, hey, let's have a few drinks and eat some food and stuff. It's like, no, like, I'm ready to eat. Like, slay that sheep and make me some, you know, make me some gyro, you know, a good gyro, not the fast food kind, a really delicious one um, with great tzatziki sauce. Um, so, so that's the parable of the servant. You don't just get thanks for doing our job. And, and, you know, what's being communicated here is that, you know, as we as we fight sin in our life, as we deal with it, we don't get like notches on our belt for just like dealing with sin. Like we, we puff ourselves up by dealing with sin. Uh, the fact is we have a tendency toward that. We have a tendency toward saying, I defeated that and I defeated that and I defeated that and I defeated that and I defeated that. And soon we're looking back at our accomplishments instead of looking forward to what Christ has done uh, for us. And, you know, the fact is the depth of our sinful heart is such that we turn victories that we have had into idols that, have, that, that show our accomplishments, and we become prideful over those things. Instead of fixing our gaze continually on, on our faith in Christ, we look back and say, I, man, I have done a lot of things. The fact is we couldn't have done any of those things without Christ and what he has done for us. It is not by faith in ourselves or the things we've done. It's about faith in God. A quote from the common, uh, commentary that I'm reading on, on Luke says this, Disciples are to view service as duty, and service does not put God in our debt. So just by doing the things that God has called us to doesn't increase a debt for God to pay us. The fact is, we've been restored to relationship with him. We've been given inheritance with him. We've give, been given a purpose in life to, uh, to accomplish. And we've been, we've been given our reward, and it's extravagant. So we shouldn't look back at our accomplishments and our victories and say, man, I'm doing a great job here. Man, we have done it by faith in Christ. We have to always remember that. It's not by uh, some ability within ourselves that we have, that we have defeated and torn out mulberry trees. It's by faith in Christ that we have done that. We have to remember that. We are unworthy servants, and we have only done our duty. The fact is, our motivation to uh, fight sin must be to continue to grow in our relationship with the Lord, to continue to grow in our faith in Christ. It's not about 
accomplishing more things that we can put on our, our shelf or get more trophies or, or uh, increase our righteousness somehow. No, our righteousness doesn't increase by us defeating sin. Our righteousness, our full righteousness was secured because of our faith in Christ. Just that mustard seed of faith in Christ never increases or gets smaller or bigger. It's simply its presence in our life that has restored us to God the Father. So to, to sum up, the truth is we as a community have to deal with sin. And we have to do it by faith in Christ and faith in Christ alone. Not by faith in ourselves, not by some fear of a, of a punishing God, but by faith in Christ and what he has done for us. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We don't, we don't stand a chance without him. Lord, we, we're like these apostles when we look at the gravity of sin and the importance that we deal with it. And we say, God, increase our faith. We need more strength, more ability to do this. But Lord, you say to us that we only need faith in you to confront these things, to move these mulberry trees. God, thank you that you sent your son to die on a cross for us that, uh, that we could be restored to God the Father. You have paid our penalty. You are not in debt to us. We are in debt to you. But because of Jesus, we are no longer in debt to you. We've been freed from that and we're restored to you. We stand righteous in your sight. We thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for this night where we can uh, spend time just looking at your word, being encouraged by it, encouraging one another in our faith, growing closer to you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.